Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John. And chapter 3, we welcome you today, glad that you're with us. And if you're a guest and a visitor, uh, we're glad that you're with us today as well. And uh, for your information, if you are not aware, uh, we have Sunday dinner together every Sunday here at the church over in our fellowship hall. You're welcome to come today. And if you're inclined to do that and eat with us, it's brunch Sunday. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, I think it's brunch Sunday. I think it is. It is. Definitely one of my favorites. I'll try to be quick then, just for your benefit, so that you can get over to, to lunch. Uh, but you're welcome to stay, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit better uh, if you'd stay with us today. And then we have an afternoon service at 1.15, and none of those services are the same. They're all different. Uh, preaching, teaching from God's Word, and you're welcome to any one of those. And we also meet Wednesday nights uh, midweek at 7.30, and we're studying through Psalm 119 on Wednesday nights, the Word of God and how it relates and applies in our life and what it can do in the life of, a, of an individual, and you're welcome to any one of those services. But John chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, a good portion of this uh, chapter this morning, so you follow along, we'll begin in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness." If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's a verse that will blow your mind for a little bit, that he was on the earth and in heaven at the same time. Verse 14, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us here today with your word. Lord, I pray that you'd bring a calm to, the, to this place. Lord, that there would be uh, minds that are engaged with the truth of God. Lord, that there would not be uh, external distractions. Lord, there would not be internal distractions. 
But Father, that there would be an open heart to God's truth today, that it would apply directly to each individual. And Lord, I do not know the hearts of men, but Lord, you do. You see and know a man's thoughts before he even thinks them. And Lord, I pray that things would be laid open and bare before you today uh, in every heart. Lord, that your will is accomplished through your word. Lord, as it pleaseth you and for your uh, benefit, for your glory, Lord, for your sake. And I pray that you would uh, uh, control with your spirit uh, the things that are said and done and the response of people today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest lies that Satan has ever foisted on the human race is that religion is something that is pleasing to God and that religion is something that can save your soul or really get you to heaven. And by religion, what I mean is the adherence to a set of beliefs or practices of a particular religion in the hope that the performance of those beliefs will gain you some sort of right standing with God. Does that make sense? You understand that? And so whether you're talking about Buddhism, whether you're talking about Islam, whether you're talking about Hinduism, Catholicism, Judaism, or even, quote, Christianity, the idea that the adherence to these principles or the adherence to these beliefs is somehow going to gain me favor with God. And you know, there are always millions and millions of people who mistakenly think that obedience to their religion will earn them eternal life. Well, if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read of the life of Jesus Christ and His interaction with people, you'll find that the Gospels make it very clear that the most difficult people to reach were not the notoriously wicked people, but rather the outwardly religious people. Those were the ones that were the hardest to reach. There, were, there are numerous accounts in the New Testament of, of, of corrupt tax collectors or the immorally wicked person who, who comes to a place of salvation because they see, they recognize that they're sinners, that they cannot save themselves. They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and their life changes. But at the same time, what you find is that the crowd that opposed Jesus the most in his life was the very same crowd that eventually crucified him. They were blind to their own sin. Their pride, their self-righteousness is what they trusted in, and their religion they thought was going to save them, but it actually condemned them. But Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to promote religion. He didn't flatter those who were religious by saying, you know, it's, it's really good to see your religious activity that you have going on in your life. It's really good to see that, you know, that you are, are pleasing to God by the things that you do. What happened was when, when Jesus interacted with these religious leaders, they ended up complaining and grumbling and griping that Jesus socialized with sinners 
They found fault with him. They tried to explain away uh, his miracles and his deeds. And Jesus replied to them in Luke chapter 5 and verse 31, Jesus answering and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wasn't saying that some people are righteous enough to get into heaven by their own good deeds. Rather, he was saying that the, quote, righteous men meant the self-righteous ones. Their pride blinded them to their sin. They kept, it kept them from coming to the, to the place of repentance, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. And we find one of those individuals in John chapter 3. I tried to lay out that picture for you to give you an idea of the kind of person, or at least the kind of, of, of character of the, of, of the person known as Nicodemus. And this morning, we're going to walk through this passage here, and we're going to look at Nicodemus's question. We're going to look at Jesus's answer And we're going to focus in this morning on the phrase that Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 3. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about this thought, you must, you must be born again. I want you to understand, though, in context here, of John chapter 3, it's not isolated from the passages around it or before it. It's actually connected to chapter 2. And you know that when the, the, when the Word of God was written out, there, there were no chapter divisions when it was initially written out. And so we don't want to fail to see what's actually happening here. And chapter 3 is actually connected to really the last part of chapter 2. If you look in chapter 2 and verse 23, the Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And so the context of chapter 3 is related to chapter 2, especially when you see what Nicodemus says. Because Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and notice in verse 2 what he says, "...the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him." There were some who were around Jesus who observed Jesus, who observed his life, who saw his miracles. And many believed because of the miracles, but there were others who didn't believe, and yet they knew at the same time that there's got to be something about Jesus Christ because nobody can do what you're doing except God be with him. Who was it that was speaking these words? A Pharisee. A religious leader, a ruler of the Jews. Those who denied Jesus Christ, one of them was saying, we, we, us, the Pharisees, we know, we really know in our heart that nobody can do this except God be with him. The problem was 
But they did not want to yield to Jesus Christ. They did not want to, and we'll talk about it maybe in a little bit, they did not want to give up their own power and control that they possessed in their life when they would yield to Jesus Christ. It's the reason that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. But Jesus could see what was going on in Nicodemus' heart. Because he knew the hearts of all men. He didn't need anybody to testify because he knew what was in man. And Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus' heart. Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed the new birth. He needed to be born again and that his religion would not save him. And that's what he's trying to get across to Nicodemus. And that's exactly what we're going to try to get across this morning. Religion cannot save you. Being a good person cannot save you. In order to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to be born again by the Spirit of God. You must be born again. So we're going to see three things this morning, Lord willing. We're going to see the must of the new birth. We're going to see the mystery of the new birth. And then thirdly, the means of the new birth. Consider, first of all, with me, the must of the new birth. In verses 1 through 7, let's read it again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The must of the new birth. The new birth that Jesus is talking about, well... Let me just back up for a second, because when we talk about the new birth, I think the phrase being born again is, is, at least in American culture in the past, it's not something that's been a mystery or words that people haven't heard about. In fact, uh, being born again, at least in culture, uh, American culture, quote, Christian culture of the past, it's, 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 it was really part of common language. I read this one time that, that, that at one point, and I don't, I don't believe it's that way now, but at one point, 70% of Americans claimed to be, quote, born again. In fact, uh, it wasn't a thing at all for presidents of the United States to claim to be born again. They would often use that as a political thing to try to gain a following. Like, oh, there's, he's born again too. In fact, Jimmy Carter uh, claimed during his presidential campaign that he had been born again. Since Jimmy Carter, every American president has said at some point they've had some religious experience in which they've referred to being born again. It's very common, or at least has been. The Bible speaks much of being born again. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 John chapter 3, in fact, turn over there. There's several in 1 John. Let's just look at some of these together. 
where the Bible does speak much about being born anew or born again or being born of God. It's the same idea or same phrase. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In verse 18 of the same chapter, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we could look at several other passages where the Bible speaks much of being born again. But somebody might say, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be born again? That phrase, small phrase, to be born again, it basically means, and the literal interpretation of it is, is, is to be born with life from above. That's what it means. To be born again is to be born with life from above. It carries the idea of having a brand new start. It carries the idea of brand new life, but this life comes from God. We call this experience being saved as Christian people. I've been saved. We might call it regeneration, where we've been made new. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it uses that term, regeneration, the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It means the exact same thing. It means that when you are regenerated, you have new life that is from above. You get a brand new start. That's what it means to be born again. But a lot of people have it confused. They're seeking some sort of reformation in their life. They call it, I've been born again. I've had some religious experience, and they're looking for some sort of reformation in their life. They're trying, some people maybe, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. I found Jesus. I went to church. I know my life is a wreck. I'm going to try to turn over a new leaf and make some changes. I want a new lease on life and so on. Listen, what the world needs, what, what unsaved people need is not reformation. What they need is regeneration. They need new life that comes from above, not of your own doing. Every person, listen, every person, even under the sound of my voice this morning, needs regeneration. Reformation is just whitewashing. Let's take some paint and cover over, you know, that old stain of my life. No, no, that's what reformation is. Regeneration is giving brand new life. It's making it white and clean in the Lord Jesus Christ. And... I said all of that because Jesus said you must be born again. And with all that in mind, I want to I talk about the must of this new birth. I want to talk about why it's necessary. First of all, the, the reason why it's a must, why you must be born again, is because the nature of humanity makes it a must. Your own very nature makes it something that is a must. It's not optional. In verses 1 and 2 of our text, go back to John 3. 
John 3, and I want you to see in verse 1, we've read these verses a couple of times, but just let me refresh you again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We notice here that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Well, the reason that he did that is because he would have been in big trouble with his cohorts, with his comrades, with the other Pharisees. He didn't want them to know that he was interested in what Jesus was saying and doing. They hated Jesus. And so he had to keep up appearances with them. And so by secret, he came to... Jesus by night. Let me ask a question. Because you'll notice that when this man came to Jesus, we don't see him coming with a proud spirit. We actually see him coming fairly humble, don't we? He came with a question. And he came with a thought on his mind. He came humbly. He came very complimentary to Jesus, actually. And it seems to be that the reason he did that is because he had some serious questions on his mind considering the miracles that he had witnessed. He said, nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. He had a question about who you are. Who are you, Jesus? And he had that question, but I dare say that he did not expect the answer that he received. Because Jesus, instead of Just saying who he was, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need to be born again. In verse 3, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 7, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And I highlight that because surely Nicodemus must have thought that Jesus was making a mistake here. I mean, look at me, Jesus. Don't you know who I am? I'm Nicodemus. I'm a a preacher. I'm a ruler of the Jews. I'm a religious person. I believe in God. It's surely, surely what he would have been thinking. And if you look at his life, if you look at all that he had going on for him, you might even think, well, Nicodemus isn't one who needs to be born again. Not Nicodemus. You know what? Maybe the drunk down the street needs to be born again. Maybe the the woman of the night needs to be born again. Maybe the one who has wasted their life, who is now in the gutter, needs to be born again. But somebody like Nicodemus, somebody who's a religious person, surely he's right with God. And if you look at his life, you might think that he had everything going for him. All the pluses, none of the minuses of the human condition or perspective. Let's just take a look at a couple of things. First of all, we note that Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. The Bible says he was a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were devoutly religious people The Pharisees were ones who had, uh, clearly they had studied the Scriptures. 
Uh, they were so intent on living according to the law of Moses. In fact, they added to it with all of their other things. And as a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus held a position of authority in the synagogue. Nicodemus knew the scriptures. In fact, he knew scriptures concerning the Messiah, the one that was to come. But you know what he didn't have? He didn't have a knowledge of Jesus that he was the Messiah. Nicodemus was a religious man, but Nicodemus was not a saved man. All the religion in the world didn't provide Nicodemus with a relationship with God. And, you know, let me make the application because a person can be uber religious today. A person can say, I'm a Christian. A person can go to a good church. A person can study the Bible. A person can even quote the word of God, even word for word. But if you've never been born again, all you have is some head knowledge of God, not a relationship with God. You can be a moral person, you can be involved in church, you can have activities that are good, and you can still be lost. Nicodemus was a religious man. Nicodemus was also a rich man with his position. In fact, tradition tells us that the Pharisees, and particularly Nicodemus, you can go find some of this information yourself, but it is said of many that Nicodemus was probably one of the three richest people in Jerusalem. He was a man of authority. He was a man of wealth. He probably had more than he knew what to do with. But let me tell you this. What we have in possessions doesn't change what we are in character or in person. You can have plenty of money but it doesn't change the fact that you need a Savior. Money can buy many things in the world, but it can never buy us heaven. Go ahead and go read in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, and read about the rich man in Lazarus who had nothing. Lazarus had nothing. The rich man had everything. And the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Nicodemus was a respectable man. Verse 10 tells us, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? When he walked down the street, people knew who Nicodemus was. He would have been held in great esteem. He was a ruler and a master in Israel. He achieved a lot in his life. But what we have and what we achieve doesn't change what we are. It's good to be respected. It's good to have a good name among men. But it's not going to provide us with a right relationship with God. And here's where many well-meaning people get confused. They think that if they can be good enough, they think that if they can be a good person, they think that if they can even care for the well-being of mankind, that somehow that will guarantee them access into heaven or a right standing with God. There's so many people that, that, that think in, because of religion... They think that somehow when I get to heaven, God's going to see all the good things that I did, the way that I lived my life, the deeds I did before God in the name of God, and how I cared for people, and it's going to outweigh the bad things that I've done in my life because, you know, I've done some because everybody does. 
But surely God's going to see all of that and he's going to let me in. That's the mentality, the mindset. Because of religion, and if I obey or adhere to this, these religious principles that I have a, a relationship with God, not so. You know what? Just because you go to church or claim some religious name, it doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Nicodemus had all these things. I don't think Nicodemus expected the answer he got from Jesus. You must be born again. Salvation only comes through the new birth. Amen? Why? Because no matter what you have, no matter what you do, no matter who you are or who you think you are, it doesn't change what you are. What you are is a natural born sinner who needs a Savior. In Romans chapter 3, the Bible tells us what we really are. We have an idea of ourselves, a way that we think about ourselves, the way that we view ourselves, but it doesn't really matter what we view of ourselves. What matters is what God sees and what God views. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. It means to render useless. They're useless. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You sitting here today, me standing here today, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, what about all the good things that I do? They're not good! All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The way that you view attending church or the way that you view yourself because you give some money or, or whatever, those are not good things in the eyes of God. They're filthy rags. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 5 and verse 12 Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You offend the law of God, you break the law of God in one point, you've broken them all. That's what the Bible teaches us. There's none that doeth good. The nature of humans, our sinful condition, the way that we came into this world, the Bible says we're condemned already. The nature of humans demands the new birth. You need new life from above. That's what Nicodemus needed. He needed to be born again. He needed new life. Not a whitewashing, a covering of the life, but a brand new one that is a spiritual life that comes from God Himself. You must be born again. The nature of God's kingdom makes it a must as well. Not just the nature of humans, but the nature of God's kingdom. Jesus said in verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It means that you can't perceive it, you can't know it, you can't understand the kingdom of God without being born again. If you skip down a little farther... 
Down to verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice that Jesus says that without the new birth, you cannot see and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is a pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? The must of the new birth. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. There is no other way for you to see heaven unless you're born again. And he says, except, except a man be born again. You know what that word accept means? It means it's an imperative. It's an imperative. And it, it's, it's revealing that there are no other options. That's what it means. Except a man be born again. There's no other way. There are no other options. In fact, what it's saying is there is no hope for your soul except you be born again. New life from above. A man must be born again. He uses the word must. It's also an imperative. And the word means to be absolutely necessary. So there's not, it's only that there's not any other way, but it's also absolutely necessary. Why is it absolutely necessary? Because the other side is condemnation for your soul. Somebody says, well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, we need to understand that the Gospel of John is dealing with spiritual things. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the Bible gives us some insight into what the kingdom of God is. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, the kingdom of God is not something that is physical. It's not something that's temporal. It's spiritual. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of men. The kingdom of God couldn't be seen and understood except Nicodemus be born again. And we have to conclude that the kingdom of God has got to be referring about the things of God. Like I said, it's the rule of God in the hearts of men. It's spiritual things that are only discerned and entered into through being born again, which means what? Receiving life from above. That's the only way. One of the most precious benefits of the new birth is the fact that we receive a brand new nature. When we're born again, when we're saved, we get brand new life from above, a brand new nature. In 2 Peter 1, in verse 4, it speaks of being a partaker of the divine nature. In other words, when you're born again and when you get saved, you received God's nature, a nature that is from above. In John 1, 12, the Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Verse 13 says, Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And that's an awesome verse, to put on this new man. This new man is created after God in righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him, that created him. 
It's life from above. The new birth gives us a brand new nature, and it's the only way to enter into the kingdom of God. The bottom line is this. Except a man be born again, saved, life from above, he cannot know the things of God. He cannot be a part of the kingdom of God where God rules. And ultimately, it will mean he will never be a part of heaven. Ultimately, that's what it means. That's why being born again is not a take it or leave it option. My friend, it's the only way you'll ever understand or enter into the kingdom of God in a relationship with God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a religious man, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Secondly, consider with me the mystery of the new birth. What time is it? I need to hurry along. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We, we speak that what we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? When Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, it kind of confused Nicodemus a little bit because Nicodemus was thinking in physical terms. He was thinking in fleshly terms, while Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. Nicodemus couldn't wrap his head around in this moment or grasp how could these things be. He imagined himself going back into his mother's womb and being born a second time. He's like, is that possible? I'm sure his mother would have vetoed that right away. He wanted to know how that could happen. And so he says to Jesus, how, how can these things be? Well, it was a mystery to him. And in some senses, there's no doubt that the new birth, this life from above, is a mysterious thing. And not in the sense that we can't understand it, mostly in the sense that how could God love sinners the way that he does? How could God love me? How could God himself pay my sin debt? How could God himself uh, uh, pay the debt that I could never pay so that I could have a relationship with him? There are things that we may not fully understand about it. It might be a mystery still to some degree, even to those of us who've received the new birth. However, it doesn't mean that we can't experience it, and it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it, amen, simply because we don't fully understand every aspect of it, because we can understand it. I mean, you may not fully understand exactly how electricity works in your house, 
where the power comes from, how it gets to your house, how it gets to the outlet, how it goes through that into whatever appliance that you're using. But it doesn't keep, just because you may not understand, it doesn't keep you from utilizing it, right? And I'm just simply making an illustration. Nicodemus didn't fully grasp it in the moment, but there was going to be a time when I believe he did. Later on, at the end of, after Jesus died, we see Nicodemus was one who was right there, who was taking his body down off the cross. I believe that Nicodemus eventually was a saved man. But in this moment, Nicodemus had some questions. It was a little bit of a mystery. And so Jesus addresses it to, to Nicodemus. First of all, in verses 4 through 7, Jesus compares it to a physical birth. Particularly note verse 5, John 3 and verse 5. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that verse has been the source of a lot of debate over the years. There are those who think that Jesus is saying that water baptism is included in a person's salvation. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is not what Jesus is saying there. That's false doctrine. Baptism has nothing to do with a person's salvation. You will never, ever find, ever once in the Scriptures, that somebody was baptized in order to be saved. Baptism always comes after a person is saved, after a person is born again. Some people think that that's talking about the Word of God, the washing of water by the Word. Uh, It's plausible, but I don't really believe that that's what that's saying. What it's saying is it's talking about a prophecy uh, that Ezekiel the prophet gave. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25, I'll read it to you. God says this, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Contextually, it seems uh, he's answering Nicodemus' question by, by what he's doing is contrasting the physical birth with the spiritual birth. And, and he says that in verse 6. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And, and, and when he says, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he's making a contrast between what is physical physical natural birth every baby is born of water and that which is spiritual being born of the spirit he also makes another comparison here not only is he contrasting or comparing it with physical birth in the sense that you have to have this new life you have to have something given to you but he also compares it to a breeze he says in verse 8 the wind bloweth where it listeth And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus that just as the wind can be felt, it can be measured, and the effects of it can be seen, where it came from and where it remains is still a mystery, but you know it's there. 
And the work of the Spirit of God is similar in this way. You cannot see God do His work in a person's heart in the moment, but you definitely know something happened when God does do a work in a person's heart. You can see the effects of the Spirit in a life, and you know that it's real. How do you know that? Well, when you see a drunkard who's been a drunk all of his life, who gets new life from above, and all of a sudden he leaves the bottle, and he is clean, and he is fresh, and he has new life that's been given to him, you know something happened. Amen? When you hear clean language coming from the mouth of the one who, whose mouth was like a sewer, you know something changed, something happened, that God's been at work. When you see a vile woman become a clean woman, you see examples of, of that in the Scriptures. You know that God has been there and He's passed by. When you see a wicked, hateful, hurtful, bitter, prideful man turn into a sweet, loving man who cares about people, you know God did something in his heart. The Spirit of God has been blowing in his soul. Even though you didn't see the work that God did, you see the effects of it in a person's life. It may be a mystery because we don't see it happen, but there's no denying the effects of the power of God when he works in the human heart. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it's not physical. You're thinking about it in wrong terms. It's spiritual. And just like you've been given physical life, you know, physical terms and how that's how you understand it. The Spirit of God works in a mysterious way and he gives, you, uh, he gives you spiritual life. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I'm talking about something spiritual, Nicodemus. And what he's saying is, Nicodemus, I can save you. And when I do, you're never going to be the same. That's what God does for all those who come to Him by faith. He changes them. He alters their life. Why? Because it is life from above. It is life from God. The last thing to look at is the means of the new birth. In verse 13, Jesus says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. When Nicodemus hears these things, he wants to know how it's possible. So Jesus takes these next few verses to explain to him and to us how the new birth can be a reality, this spiritual birth. In verse 13 and 14, he talks about the role of the Savior. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Savior's part in the new birth was to leave heaven, 
to leave heaven above, to come to this world. And the reason he came to this world was to die for sin. He said, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Friend, let me tell you something. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. He left heaven. He took upon himself a human body. He lived without sin. He died a horrible death upon a cross. He was buried in a, in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. The reason he died was to take your place. The debt of sin that you could never pay, he paid. And the Bible tells us that God looked upon him. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. And the Bible says that, that God was satisfied that the payment of sin had been made. Jesus reminded Nicodemus of the time Israel had sinned against God. And God sent a serpent among them to bite them. Notice how he says that. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus knew exactly what, what Jesus was talking about here. There was a time in Israel's history when they sinned and rebelled against God and the judgment of God came and God uh, gave the, the remedy for it and the, and the serpent had to be made and, and Moses had to hold it up. And if people would just look, if they would just look at the serpent... They would be saying, what was the guarantee that anybody had that if I just look at the serpent that I'll be healed? The guarantee was simply that God said to do it. And they had to believe it by faith. They had to actually obey and look. And when they did, that's when they were healed. And Jesus says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God commanded Moses to make a brass serpent and put it on a pole. And Jesus said that he was just like that in the same sense. I came into this world. I'm going to be put up on a cross and crucified. He came to die as a sacrifice for sin. But through his death, we might live if we would only look and believe on him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the sin debt in full. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, that after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice of sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. What I'm saying is, when we come to know Jesus Christ and we receive the new birth, that sin debt is paid. There's nothing more that's owing on our account if we'll receive Him by faith. The next thing that Jesus talks about, not just the role of the Savior, what the Savior did, but He talks about the role of the sinner. In verse 15, He says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. Jesus says the way that this new life comes into you is by believing on Jesus Christ. What must the lost, hell-bound sinner do to be saved? Well, you don't do anything. We can't earn our salvation. We simply have a repentant heart toward God and put our faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to believe. And just like those people in ancient Israel who'd been bitten by those fiery serpents, all they had to do was look and live. If you need to be saved, there's nothing left to do but to believe on Jesus Christ, to receive His finished work on the cross as the payment for your sin. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And the question this morning is do you have life from above? What was it that drew Nicodemus that night? I think the events of John chapter 2, seeing the miracles that Jesus did, watching his life, knowing that nobody can do this except God be with him. There's something about Jesus. That's what drew Nicodemus. The Bible tells us that many people believed on him because of his miracles. But Jesus didn't commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew that their faith was superficial. They wanted to make him ruler and king. It was based on the miracles and what he could do for them, not genuine love for him. And no doubt Nicodemus saw all the things that Jesus did, but something was different in Nicodemus. What he saw and what he heard created a hunger in his soul to know more about this Jesus. And so he came to Jesus, and what he heard was, you must be born again. He heard the gospel. Like I said earlier, I think Nicodemus eventually got saved because Nicodemus stood up before the Sanhedrin, his own fellow countrymen. Nicodemus helped Joseph of Arimathea bury the body of Jesus. I think that shows a changed person, a changed man. And so I think Nicodemus did get saved, but that's not really the question. The question is, what about you? And as we close this morning, I want to draw your attention back to John chapter 2 for a minute. And I'll close up with this. In John 2, again in verse 24, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Before Nicodemus ever came to Jesus, Jesus knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus. Jesus knew what he needed when he came that night. And so Jesus cut through all the religion He cut through all of the foolishness 
And he told Nicodemus exactly what he needed to hear. He told him, you need to be saved. Verse 24 says he knew all men. Verse 25 says he knew what was in man. I'm saying to you, and I'm highlighting this because Jesus knows exactly what's in you too. He knows whether you're saved or not. He knows whether or not you need to be born again. He knows what you're thinking right now. And the question is, friend, do you see, do you understand, you must be born again? It doesn't matter how religious you've been. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter even if you've been a member of this church. It doesn't matter. What matters is, do you have life from above? Because you know what? Churches are full of people who have professions of faith, who've been members of churches for a long time. They think that they've been saved, but something in their soul is convicting them. Something is telling them. Something is not right. But they won't move. They won't move because of their pride. And it costs them an eternity. My friend, are you born again? Do you have life from above? It doesn't matter. Any of those things don't matter. If you're here today and you're not saved, Jesus is saying the same thing. You must be born again. You need new life from above. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, that you'd use your word today. And we thank you for it. It points us to Christ. It helps us to know and understand what is demanded of God. That we're accountable to God. But, Lord, but God has told us exactly what we need to know. How can we have new life? spiritual life imparted to us from above. If we would repent of our sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work at Calvary, we'll never perish, but have eternal life. Lord, I just pray that You would take the Scriptures today and through Your Spirit, Lord, would You draw men to Jesus Christ as we've sought to exalt Him and point to Him. And Lord, I pray that You'd use